if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land, we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Bob Fratz Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning once again on AM 1420. The answer. Happy Wednesday to you. It's the 19th morning of the 8th month of the year of our Lord 2020. And we are glad that you are with us. We are absolutely jam-packed with great, important guests today. Coming up in just a moment or two, we are going to be talking with the Lieutenant Governor of the great state of Ohio, John Husted, in the wake of some fantastic news yesterday announced by the governor for Fantastic for parents of uh, athletes that play fall sports. We're going to talk to him at length about that coming up at uh, just in just a couple of minutes. Then at 9.35 today, we're going to follow up on that with Jack Windsor uh, from the Ohio Star and from WMFD Television down in Mansfield, who was, of course, on the scene yesterday talking to the governor about this decision on fall sports and Ohio schools. And we're going to talk about masking during voting, the order given by uh, Secretary of State Frank LaRose and others. So that'll be coming up at 9.35. Then at 10 uh, 10.35 today, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, 1035, right. Uh, I'm trying to get all of my guest schedule here, or uh, guest schedule organized here. We will talk with Mark Lauder of the Trump campaign. He is a senior advisor and strategist for the Trump campaign. So that is all coming up um, this morning on AM 1420, The Answer. The, these were just some glorious words to hear yesterday. Um, I got to tell you, when I heard... Governor Mike DeWine say these magic words. Our order uh, will provide that all sports uh, may go forward uh, this fall with contact and the non-contact sports. This is something that has been on the minds of so many for so many very good reasons since the school, uh, you know, shut down, uh, you know, all of the schools being shut down. Uh, as far back as this past spring, really late winter and early spring, as almost the entire second semester for most, most schools was online. And all spring sports, the end of the winter seasons, and all of spring sports ended up being canceled. Nobody, I don't believe back in February and March and April when all of this was going on, thought this could possibly extend into the fall. But it has been a summer of uncertainty, to say the very least. So to have the governor finally, after just weeks and weeks and weeks of questions and wondering what they were going to do with fall sports, to have, I'm going to hear it again, it's so glorious. Our order uh, will provide that all sports uh, may go forward uh, this fall 
with contact and the non-contact sports. To have him finally uh, say that was seriously a uh, uh, just a huge, huge relief for so many. And joining us now, as promised, is Lu- the uh, Lieutenant Governor of the great state of Ohio, uh, Lieutenant Governor John Husted. Governor, Lieutenant Governor, rather, thank you so much for coming on this morning. I know you're a very busy man and you're a very in-demand man right now because of, uh, because of the uh, question everybody has had about fall sports. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you. Yeah, very excited about our young people getting a chance to go out and compete. It's a great thing. Well, I know you know it's a great thing. You have been a champion of this. And the first thing I want to say to you is thank you for that. Um, you have been a champion, you know, uh, for the idea of getting kids back into schools in person and in, in buildings, and just as importantly, getting them back on the field for fall sports. Full disclosure, I had a dog in this fight. I have a senior football player son who I did not want to, you know, miss his final season, uh, and all of his teammates and all of the kids. So, I truly appreciate what you did. Lieutenant Governor, briefly tell us why this was the right thing to do in your mind, Whereas, because I've heard you in other interviews and I've read your Twitter account. I know you really wanted this. Why was it so important to you? Because kids need it. Uh, they need to have, for their mental health, for their physical health, for to have hope. Uh, to uh, and, it, and it also, look, sports, sports create, build character. They build life skills. This is where you learn to to prepare for victory and, and accept defeat and bounce back from it. It's where you learn your resiliency, your grit, your toughness. These are life skills, character-building skills that I don't know any better way to, to, to get those skills than for, through sports. And when you uh, take away those things from young people, uh, it can be devastating for their, you know, they need hope. And I just felt very strongly that, um, that they should have this option. Uh, you know, I have a little football bias. I admit, I always admit that to everybody having played, uh, throughout high school and, and college and coached football. Uh, I know how much for certain kids, this is what keeps them interested in academics. Uh, sports is the gateway to academics, uh, for many kids as well. So, um, it was just very important that they had this chance. And now, uh, it'll be up to the coaches, the players, the families to prove that they can do it. You know that you're a hundred percent right. Uh, it is so incredibly important because so, I hear a lot of critics of this idea saying, "Well, this sports shouldn't matter. It's all about academics." For some people, do not understand the role that sports play in at-risk kids' lives. If they aren't playing, I mean, sports are the only reason sometimes they study hard enough and work hard enough to stay eligible, for goodness sakes. And in the end, you know, past that, um, big picture-wise, it benefits them in a way that, that a lot of people do not understand. So I'm glad you understand that. Now, let me ask you this, Lieutenant Governor. Um, when the governor said yesterday that sports can be played this fall, he did not say the fall season will go on as scheduled, meaning that everybody, this is, this is fall sports time. He said, if you want to play in the spring, superintendents and leaders of districts, you can go ahead and play in the spring. Um, a lot of people aren't happy about that. For a variety of reasons. They don't want multi-sport kids to have to choose sports in the spring. Uh, the schools that do play in the spring are going to miss out on the playoffs and championship schedule laid out by the OHSAA for the fall. Why give schools the opportunity to do both, or actually one or the other, rather than just saying, look, we've determined it to be safe enough, the this, this schedule will go on in the fall? Uh, well, that's really, 
you know, an uh, Ohio High School Athletic Association decision uh, more so than it is ours. We've communicated with them. We had many superintendents, uh, particularly a lot of urban areas, uh, where they had basically already canceled fall sports. And um, we just thought that, gee, this is going to give those schools a a chance to do it in the spring. Um, We we weren't, look, we're not in in the position of trying to encourage them to do that or or to tell them when they have to do it, this is giving them the opportunity to do it. And we know that there are different community standards in every community. There's different risk tolerances. There's different opinions. Um, it's supposed to be about the kids. It's supposed to be about giving them a chance to compete, to have something to look forward to. If I was a kid who's who was was a sing, you know a football player, and I maybe wanted to go try to play football after college, and my school had already canceled football. I would have been devastated. I think the idea of that, that there's a potential to do it in spring can give many of them hope that, that maybe they can put the helmet on one more time. Yeah, and, and, and that's honorable, and I, and I do respect that. Um, I, like I said, I just know that it's tough. A lot of parents have said, my son is a great baseball player. You're going to make him forced to choose football or baseball in the spring, and that's a rough thing for them. Uh, let, me, let me ask you about protocols, Lieutenant Governor. We're talking to uh, John Husted this morning. Uh, protocols. Um, I understand that you or the governor or both of you, I wasn't in on it, obviously, had a virtual meeting with ADs and coaches last night to go over uh, the protocols. Will kids have to be tested to play? Uh, Lieutenant Governor Houston? No, they will not need to be tested to, to be played. Uh, we want them to do symptom checks. Uh, we mm-hmm. want them uh, to wear masks and do the things when they're off the field. Because, look, it, it, it is, uh, it's practical. We, we did this in conjunction with coaches and athletic directors and the Ohio High School Athletic Association uh, to make sure that it was um, as safe as we could make it, but also practical and and, um, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure that there will be uh, some people that will quarrel with some aspects of it, but we didn't do this in isolation. We reached out mm. uh, to, real, to real coaches. I mean, I was a real coach. I was a real player. I know, I know it's practical uh, and not practical, and so we're, uh, we're hopeful that, that it will work out well. And, um, and, and like always, when we do something, if there's a problem, we'll, we'll go back and try to, to fix it if uh, – we didn't get it a hundred percent right. That that's a great part of follow up uh, for for uh, for this question, Lieutenant Governor Husted is is what if there is a problem? Can you tell us what the protocols will be for a positive COVID test in a single player on a single team? Will that player have to quarantine? Will the whole team be on lockdown and have to miss a week or two? Uh, what about the last opponent they played? Because you know, one could argue, hey, there's a, you know, somebody came in contact with him on the other team. Because yesterday, yesterday, I believe it was the governor said something to the effect of, if things go off the rails, that you could shut it all down. So, what would be the trigger to shutting it all down? Well, I will tell you that I don't think I think that will take care of itself uh, more so than us, because local schools will know whether it's working or not long before we will. Uh, they'll know whether they have outbreaks on their team. Um, they, they will know, you know, that, that will, that they will be the leading indicator on that, not us. Um, but if look, if you have it, this is, this is where the team, the team aspect is important. You, you, you literally, you owe it to each other as teammates, uh, to, to make sure that when you're off the field, you're not putting yourself at risk. 
Because if you don't put yourself at risk, if no one has the, the virus and you don't put yourself at risk off the field, then you're probably not going to bring it to your teammates on the field uh, and your season will go well. Um, but if you see you know, student athletes who decide that they're just going to do what they want after, uh, after school and after practice and on the weekends and, and uh, not be mindful, then they'll bring that back to their team and then you'll have a problem. Um, Look, if you get the what, virus, what would that what would that what, problem be? Yeah, specifically if a player tests positive, whether it's through negligent behavior yeah, or just you know he happens to be, come into contact with somebody who's you yeah. know who's who's positive. So so if a player gets it, is there a specific designated protocol on what will happen, or is that going to be up to the school? Yeah, there's CDC guidelines. Um, you would if you have it, you have to be quarantined uh, and and ultimately cleared by a physician before you come back. The, the reason is because, you know, the Big Ten canceled uh, their season um, uh, in large part because of concerns over myocarditis. Uh, we talked with physicians who are cardiologists, and sports medicine experts, and they said that, look, this is, we don't know much about the, the myocarditis and its connection to uh, the virus, but there is an increased risk. So, um, we want everybody to be cleared by their physician before they go back, which is a reasonable thing to do when it's something we don't know a lot about. Uh, so if you get it, you're going to have to be cleared by a physician before you go back. But it um, would be specific to as, just the player, though, not like a, an entire team wouldn't have to be shut down if a single player is well, tested positive? N- not necessarily. It depends on, it depends on look, there's a, there's a CDC standard of, of if you had in close contact with the person for more than 15 minutes. Okay. So that's why there's an encouraging, you know, we encourage people to spread things out in practice mm-hmm. um, and do the pod work and things like that, that a lot of coaches are doing in football. Uh, and that way you can conduct your practices in a way where you don't have to create an exposure for one player to another player or a coach for more than that 15 minute time period. So, that's sound advice. Uh, I think that's something everybody can follow. And I think, and most of the schools that have been practicing all summer since they've been allowed to have been indeed uh, practicing that. I certainly know my son's team has been doing that. They've been very clear on all of that. Let me switch to spectators if I can, Lieutenant Governor Houston. I know your time is short, but spectators. Um, the governor said yesterday family and quote people close to the kids will be allowed to come to the games. Uh, who defines close to, uh, and, and will there be a cap on attendance? Uh, you know, is it going to be a cap per kid, you know, per band member, per player, et cetera? Uh, how's that going to work? Yeah, look, the goal has always been uh, it's just about the kids, um, and we want them to have their family members and loved ones be able to be there. Uh, that's, that's the goal for attendance. Uh, you know, you would media members would be allowed to be there. College recruiters could be there, but we want to keep the crowd small. Uh, we know that outside is better than inside. We'll want people to sit in pods of of households mm-hmm. uh, and then stay six feet from from the next group of people. Uh, you can spread them out. You know, if, if there's lawn seating, you can put them in the lawns and do things, those kinds of things to spread people out. Um, you know, that's the goal. Uh, there will be there will be a, a cap, which. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna wait till the order comes out because I know that they're that there's we're still putting uh, crossing some T's and dotting some I's on that. But it, it it's meant to accommodate the family members of the players, the coaches, the band, the cheerleaders, uh, and and limit it to that that audience for say a football game. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and outside is better than inside. So there'll be different, different, uh, capacity standards for outside versus inside. Uh, and, um, but the local schools will make those determinations. We give them the general outline, uh, how they, how they disperse the tickets and, and manage that is, is going to be up to them. Last question for you again, Lieutenant Governor. I respect your deadline here. Um, and this may not even be you. This may be an OHSA, OHSAA question. But a lot of kids and families are wondering about transferring. If their school is not playing this fall and the kid really wants to, if they move and do it legally, can they transfer to another school and play this fall? Uh, you know, that is, an, that is an Ohio High School Athletic Association uh, issue. Okay. I would hope. Look, this is this is one of the things I know about the transfer rule. When one when one superintendent can and another superintendent can sign off on that transfer, and I would sure hope that that in a COVID environment, that the superintendents or those school districts would allow the students to do that if they are not providing them the academic and and uh, extracurricular opportunity that the, that child needs, uh, particularly. Um, it just, you know, if you can't do it, you should let somebody else do it for you. And I hope that's the attitude everybody takes. Hey, I, I, I think that's that's a good attitude indeed to take. And 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 then just to confirm as you as you leave, uh, Lieutenant Governor Husted, when I asked you if, you know, the governor would shut it all down, you said it would be up to the school. Did I hear this correctly? I'm asking rather than stating. Did I hear you correctly when you say uh, that it, the schools would know that long before we would? In other words, we're going to leave it up to schools if they have an outbreak of cases to shut their own program down rather than the state coming in and saying, okay, we're just putting a, you know, putting a, a clamps on the whole thing. Yeah, look, the governor always reserves the right if, uh, to, to do those kinds of things if necessary. But I'm just telling you on the call last night, the way the conversations went and what we believe is that a local school is going to know they have a problem long before we know that they have a problem. And if you have enough players get the, get the virus, you know, by, by that very nature that they're going to have to be quarantined and they're going to need a doctor's approval before they go back, uh, you, you know, you're, you're, you're probably, you're probably shutting your own season down when that happens. Uh, and so that's what I meant by that. Uh, Got the it. governor could ultimately shut it down, but, ult- but, but more than likely, uh, the, school, the school, given the circumstance that they face and their opponents uh, maybe not wanting to play them, will, will probably guide that, that issue more than we will. I've got so many more questions. I'd love to talk sports with you about uh, Lieutenant Governor, but I know your time is tight, so I respect that and let you leave. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, literally, first of all, thank you for being here. Second of all, thank you because I've read and I've listened to you over the last several weeks. I do not believe Governor DeWine would have given the green light for fall sports, particularly contact sports, to be played if it hadn't been for your influence. So I really, uh, on behalf of parents and athletes everywhere, thank you for what you did. Well, I appreciate that. You should, you know, ultimately it's the governor's decision. He deserves the credit for doing it. And I'm grateful that he's a, he's a wonderful listener and gives me a chance to weigh in on these things. That's teamwork. I like that. And I appreciate and respect that. Thank you so much, Lieutenant Governor. Yep. Thanks. That's Lieutenant Governor John Husted on AM fourteen twenty. The answer: uh, the important things that you heard there to me are no testing for players. Spectators will be determined more by the schools than the state when they decide on family members and people close to the athletes and band members, etc. They want them to pod up, of course, sit close to one another in pods or small groups in the stands, six feet away from other groups. That certainly makes sense as well. And if 
uh, things uh, go dice get dicey and they have to pull the plug, it would be the schools that would be the first triggers rather than the state. I think those are the important things that I gleaned from that conversation. We'll come right back on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, it is uh, 929. Short segment here before uh, we get to our bottom of the hour news, and Jack Windsor joins me. But again, if you missed the conversation that I had with uh, Lieutenant Governor John Husted moments ago, uh, really, really important stuff. Really important stuff. Uh, he and the governor teamed up. You know, I've been very, very hard on Mike DeWine and Team DeWine, if you will, for their handling of this pandemic, for his over reliance on Amy Acton in the early going, uh, and beyond. Um, including masking and some of the other things that the governor has mandated. So I've been very hard on him, but I am fair. I always try to be hard but fair, and I will give credit where credit is due. It could have been and would have been, I think, very easy for Mike DeWine and John Houston to say, look, the Ohio Athletic Conference has canceled their fall sports season. Those are all colleges in Ohio. The Mid-American Conference which has a lot of schools in Ohio, Kent, Akron, Bowling Green, Toledo, Miami, OU, etc. They canceled their fall, fall sports season because of fear of COVID. Ohio State University, Buckeye Fans Unite, canceled their season along with the rest of the Big Ten for this fall. It would have been very easy, I think, for DeWine and Houston and their team to say, we have to follow suit. High schools will not be playing. They're giving it a shot. They're giving it a shot, and I, in the interest of fairness, I think they deserve some praise for that, which is exactly what I gave John Husted, and I meant it very sincerely. It would have been easy for them to cave and do what the colleges did. They did not. We can react to that as we go on this morning, but uh, after the news, Jack Windsor. In fact, Jack Windsor will react to that coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 935, we continue now on AM 1420, The Answer. This was the answer that we were hoping for yesterday. Uh, We've been hoping for it for several weeks, to be quite honest with you. As a matter of fact, you know, I've been very effusive in my praise this morning for Governor DeWine and Lieutenant Governor Husted for saying yes to a chance at fall sports yesterday. But I should also point out this should have been said weeks and weeks and weeks ago. And the reason why is because a lot of schools didn't practice and didn't prepare because they didn't expect there would be a season. And now they got to uh, push, push back to the spring. So this should have been done weeks ago, but at least it was done yesterday. Our order uh, will provide that all sports uh, may go forward uh, this fall with contact and the non-contact sports. However, kind of strangely, I think some people might agree, the uh, governor also left the door open for an alternative. We also, though, have heard... Uh, from superintendents, persons from families, for a desire uh, to switch some of these contact sports, football, soccer, field hockey, uh, to the spring. Lieutenant Governor and I have had conversations with the Ohio High School Athletic Association, uh, and they have given the go-ahead for schools that want to do that. So that's just, you know, again, it's a little bit of an oddity, I think. Most people would agree because you're going to have championships and so on and so forth played in the fall, and then spring becomes what? Participation trophy time? Maybe. I don't say that derisively. I just say that, uh, I think, accurately. Those kids are going to be playing just for the fun of playing. 
at that point in time. Joining us now for reaction on that is one of the guys who got a good question into the governor yesterday during the press briefing, our good friend Jack Windsor from WMFD Television and the Ohio Star. Jack, good morning, my friend. How are you? Bob France, I'm super fantastic. Thank you for having me uh, today, and uh, I'm excited to talk with you. What did you take away from the announcement, Jack? You can feel free to go in whatever direction you wish there, whether it be the protocols, whether it be the allowance of a spring season, which means they split it up between fall and spring for those who wish to, to the spectator issue. What what was your takeaway? Well, I appreciated uh, Lieutenant Governor talking with you, and I received some clarity from your discussion that I didn't have yesterday, particularly as it relates to are we going to have to test kids, but I heard was that uh, they're going to symptom check and then wear the mandatory medical devices, um, a.k.a. masks. So that was, uh, that was something that uh, I didn't have inside on yesterday. And then spectators, uh, you know, that to me is uh, it's still kind of a thing to be defined. But what I heard was that people important to the athlete, they weren't there. Um, and that could include, you know, friends, girlfriends, boyfriends, et cetera. Um, but it sounds like that's up to each individual school and athletic director. So it'll be interesting how that uh, that rolls out. You know, I don't want to be the wet blanket because it is it is a reason to celebrate. Maybe what I what I take from it, and I'm going to go back to uh, reframing the entire discussion. The question that I asked the governor yesterday is still important to me uh, and to a lot of our, our viewers and, and listeners. And that is this. We know that this virus was here in January, right? Right. At least. At least. At least. Sometimes, say, November. uh, We also know that it's highly contagious and it likely spread significantly without us knowing. And when you look back on data, influenza-like illness data in Ohio, it shows that at one point in February, before any policies, hospitalizations hit 1,200 admission. And the worst we've seen since knowing that COVID is here is 700. And so... That gave me pause. We also know that schools were closed with flu-like virus uh, last year. It wasn't flu A and flu B in a lot of instances. And a lot of Ohioans think, hey, that was COVID. So that being said, we had a winter sports season, but we didn't seem to see serious issues of high school athletes, uh, you know, with the heart issues or any issues, nor did we see hospitals overcrowded with athletes, their parents, and their grandparents. Now that we have more immunity, better diagnostic measures, way to treat, uh, ways to treat COVID successfully without a vaccine. Uh, and we even heard Dr. Borchers yesterday mention that the heart issues are very rare. And, and that, that seemed to be something that they really weren't concerned about. They were concerned about the hygiene of the athlete and making sure that they were going through the protocol. So when you put all of that together, for me, the question remains, why are we not allowing them to have a full season without restrictions? That's, that's how I framed the question up yesterday. Um, and, you know, I'm still of the mindset we've, we've signed forms in the past regarding cardiac issues for a few years now, and so why is this any different? And, you know, I don't want to be a glutton on the issue. Uh, I just don't agree with framing the issue the way that they frame it, um, which is that everybody's sick and consequently, um, you know, kids are going to kill everyone around them. Uh, we have real evidence this didn't happen last year during the winter season. That's a very good point. Um couple of follow-ups. Your question was moderately dismissed by the governor on your facts. Um, His response was, well, you know, we're going to arrive at different conclusions if we start with different facts. He basically said that the data and the information you gave was incorrect, uh, at least to to his understanding. Um, You didn't get a chance to ask a follow-up, obviously. What would you say to him in response to that? 
I would say, how do you start with different facts? It's not that we have different facts. It's, it's that, you know, one, one person is looking at all of the facts and the other person is, is suppressing some of the facts. And, and I, I would say to him, what do, you, what do you think about the director, Redfield, of the CDC, in this video saying that there is no evidence to support that kids are transmitting this to adults, kids are transmitting this to teachers. Also, our biggest issue with kids in COVID is suicide. It is drug overdose. It is uh, depression. These are the things that we have to really consider. That's, I would ask him to answer that because they point to CDC guidelines a lot, but there's an entire uh, you know, segment of information that they seem to overlook. And when you couple that with, again, the fact that this was here last year, and uh, kids, you know, were not, they weren't dying. They weren't getting, they, they got sick. You know, they closed schools down for a period of time. Um, but those are tough questions that we have to answer if we're going to justify. To me, the burden of proof is on the state. It's not on the kid. It's not on the family. It's not on the school. If the state's going to take something away, the burden of proof is on them, and they're not answering questions that are hard to answer. They're, they're just kind of glossing over them. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, one of the things that I had a problem with yesterday with the announcement um, uh, from the governor is the where he kind of said, and this is why I asked twice to make sure I had clarity from, from Mr. Husted, uh about him pulling the plug, about the governor. And, and, and the lieutenant governor actually said at the end, the governor always reserves the right to shut it all mm-hmm. down. I have a problem with that um, because I want to know in his mind, because look, Jack, you and I and many others um, certainly supported this because of all of the right reasons. Like you said, the suicide, the depression, the last time, uh, you know, a school in Lorain County where I live, which happens to be more of an urban school, a very diverse population. The last time they had a season, a year without their sports, gang uh, participation uh, and gang uh, numbers exploded during that period of time because the kids lost all their motivation to study go to school, et cetera, et cetera. So all of the right reasons were given, I think, for wanting the season to happen. And I just wonder how, but uh, there are a lot of other people who opposed it, who said it's too dangerous, this is stupid, it's folly, sports don't matter, et cetera, et cetera. So I wonder how quick the governor will be to pull the trigger on a shutdown if there are a few cases spread out over various parts of the state. That's the one thing that I go into this with a lot of trepidation over, Jack. Me as well. I think that we will see that, um, especially if athletes are, are diagnosed positive. And, you know, the other issue with that, by the way, um, is are they really sick? Are they symptomatic? Are they spreading it? Or are they taking a test that's a false positive? Or is it this, this super sensitive PCR test that is picking up viral fragments that, you know, were there 12 weeks ago and they're not contagious? But I don't think it's going to take very much for the governor to shut it down. And I I share that with you. And personally, I can't speak for everyone else. I would not be where I am today if it weren't for football, baseball, and wrestling. I am one of the people that Lieutenant Governor talked about. Uh, I stayed in school early on because I love sports. And sports taught me things that I wouldn't have learned in the classroom. But once, you know, you stick around the classroom long enough, and then eventually, you know, I started uh, realizing, hey, it's important to read and, and, and do math and science and do the important things. But if it weren't for sports, man, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have ever been there. 
uh, Jack, you and me, and even Lieutenant Governor Houston. He said the same thing. He was a player in high school. He played at college, won a championship, by the way, at the University of Dayton, for those who don't know. And so, yeah, a lot of us certainly are representative of that. Let me pivot away from the sports now, Jack, and get to some of the other issues. Yesterday, the Secretary of State apparently did a flip-flop about masking at the polls in November. Apparently now, if you want to vote, uh, in person in November, you're going to have to wear a face mask. We all know this is a huge debate in this state and in this country. Two questions arise. One, can they deny us our right to vote if we don't strap something over our face, which is not anywhere in the law or in the Constitution? Can they deny us the opportunity to vote? That's number one. And number two, why are they assuming in state government that in November we will still need masks? Governor DeWine said when he made his mask mandate announcement last month that we need to do this for four to six weeks, and he said if all Ohioans do this, we'll crush it in four to six weeks. We'll crush COVID. Okay, well, we're four weeks in now, and why are they assuming that we're going to have to go about 16 weeks uh, and and still have to wear masks in uh, early November? Yeah, it's curious, isn't it? And I think he was on a, a show last week where he was questioned about that, Governor uh, we're about four weeks in now. You said that it was going to be four to six weeks that we would be under this mask mandate. And he said, well, I didn't say that. And I think they played the clip. So uh, I don't yeah. know if he's not recollecting. It was in a briefing. You were probably there. You're right. You were probably I there think, when he said it, because I believe it was during a briefing. It, yes. And so it's it's interesting that um, now, you know, he's not recollecting. Um, it, it was it, There was a special briefing, right? It was the Wednesday night kind of fireside chat where he talked about, let's do this for four to six, six weeks, let's, let's all get on the same page. And so here we are, but now, as you said, they're talking about needing this all the way out to November. That's peculiar. To go back to your question, no, they cannot take away your right to vote. That is a lawsuit waiting to happen. And where I saw the flip-flop, uh, Talia Naquin at Fox 8 wrote an article yesterday. The headline was, Masks are Required to Vote in November, um, Ohio's Secretary of State. And in the article, Naquin indicates that last week, uh, 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 voters who, they, uh, readers were told that voters who chose not to wear a mask would not be turned away. But yesterday, um, apparently the Secretary of State said uh, anyone who shows up without a mask would be offered one. And quote, uh, just want to make sure that the message goes out loud and clear that masks are required at Ohio voting locations, LaRose said. They're required for both our election officials, and they're required for voters who come. Uh, that's a lawsuit waiting to happen. If, it, But what he then pivoted from, uh, he took some heat for that comment and then posted something on Twitter that I responded to. Uh, but what he's saying is, well, it's not required, it's suggested, and if you show up without one, we'll offer you one, and if you don't want to take one, you'll be able to participate in curbside voting. Um that's what we understand it to be now. But no, you cannot turn somebody away because they're not going to wear a mandatory uh, a medical device uh, to go in and exercise their constitutional right to vote. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's something that would hit the courts in no time whatsoever. Jack, I'm going to take a time out here and get a short break. Can you stay and talk about part two of your eight-part series on uh, Governor DeWine's coloring book? Gladly. Good. Jack Windsor is going to stay with us right here on AM 1420, The Answer, back after this.
Okay, it is 9.53. I've got seven minutes left with Jack Windsor to talk about part number two. Jack Windsor, WMFT Television in Mansfield, and he is also the managing editor of the Ohio Star. And it is the Ohio Star website, theohiostar.com, that Jack has embarked upon an eight-part series studying the Ohio Public Health Advisory System. I call it Governor Mike DeWine's coloring book because this is the one where he takes either uh, yellow or or uh, uh, red or purple or orange uh, Crayolas to the state map almost indiscriminately because literally the statistics do not bear out some of the color designations he has given. Uh, but this is what, you know, how uh, decisions are being made throughout the state of Ohio in each of these counties by pub, or by uh, county boards of health as far as what they are allowed to do and what they are not allowed to do. So, Jack, uh, last week you told us as you uh, wrote, wrote number one about the importance uh, driving policies based on what if instead of what is. Let's talk about part two here. Okay, so... Part two, we dove into uh, indicator number one, which is new cases per capita. And to really sum it up, this is uh, this indicator particularly is punitive to smaller counties. We heard the governor say yesterday that our, our smaller counties and smaller communities are, are really um, where this is spreading and it's dangerous. And so uh, when you read through this uh, second part, you start to understand um, that that may not be the case. So with new cases per capita, what that means is that uh, new cases uh, per capita indicator is triggered if greater than 50 new cases are reported per 100,000 people over a two-week period. Now, here's where this gets tricky. Uh, let's say that you're in a county uh, like Morgan County where you have 14,000 people. Well, okay, so you that's 14% of 100,000 is... Um, 14,000, right? Uh, and so it, 14% of 50 is seven cases. So if Morgan County has greater than seven cases over a two-week period, then that indicator gets triggered. And guess what? They do. They had eight cases. And now, I, to be fair, even if you have eight cases, that could be the beginning of something, right? And that could be starting a brush fire. But where it gets really tricky is how do we know that new cases include confirmed cases and not probable cases? And probable cases don't contain only confirmed COVID cases. They lack certainty about its viral prevalence. So if you look at... um, uh, Jack, before you continue that, um, explain that part. Are cases being counted when they are only probable and not confirmed positive tests? And how do we know that? Yes, they are. So if you look at Logan County, if you go to their website, they have 118 total confirmed cases. 64 of those are probable cases. 35% of cases in Logan County are probable. And these are cases that do not have a conclusive laboratory result or are counted due to close contact with another laboratory confirmed positive case. Let me give you an example of how that can go down. In Delaware County, which is where I live, I know of an instance where someone uh, tested positive and members of that household, four other members of that household were counted as positive. They were, they were probable. Now here's where that's problematic because there's data to support that the transference 100% doesn't happen, but the other four members of that household are, are counted as probable cases. So instead of one case, now you have five and in a smaller County, Let's say, uh, as we just talked, Morgan County, you only need seven cases. So if somebody is positive and you just uh, account uh, for four others being probable, I mean, they're almost there. 
And, and that's where it gets a little problematic. And we talk about probable cases. We talk about how, um, you know, a positive case, by the way, it doesn't mean that somebody is symptomatic. The governor proved that you can take a false positive test. Uh, that's PCR right. tests, which are really sensitive, can actually show infection uh, up to 12 weeks, uh, 10 and a half to 11 weeks past the time that somebody is contagious. So that becomes extremely problematic for smaller communities. Um, you know, are we counting probable cases? Yes, it appears that we are. And if we're including false positives, a county that's, that's small can trigger that uh, in a heartbeat, particularly if you have a pop-up testing location. And let's not forget, people who are testing right now are people who are curious and asymptomatic. We're not testing the sickest of the sick as we did in the beginning with this virus. Jack, um, continuing in part two of your your series, you you told the story about a Cincinnati mother, uh, and you know you're referring to these women as Jane and Mary, and it's anecdotal, but it's it's it really is evidence of what you're talking about in terms of how these things are being viewed and how these cases are being counted, leading to the uh, cases per capita that uh, you know that are that is a big part of this uh, this system. So tell us about Mary and Jane briefly. Yes, so. Um the uh, the mother um, who we're going to call uh, Jane is um, she tells the story. Her daughter uh, Mary is uh, traveling out of state to go uh, stay with her soon to be college roommate for the upcoming year. Um, while Mary is there, she learns that her uh, soon to be roommate was around somebody that was diagnosed with COVID, and so she packs up comes back to uh, the Cincinnati area. We'll call it the greater Cincinnati area. And when she gets yeah. home, uh, her parents make it so she can go straight to her room. They don't have to be, they honor social distancing. They have the masks on. They, they take food up to, you know, right outside her bedroom. They give her a, you know, a forehead scan to check her temperature. And she's not symptomatic at all, uh, but she's encouraged to go test. So um, Mary goes to test and the first test comes back negative. And she's in the clear, but she's told, no, you should really go test again because you were in such close proximity with um, your soon-to-be roommate. So a couple of days later, uh, on a Saturday, which is the day before her high school graduation party, she goes uh, and tests again. This time, the test comes back positive. And so uh, a couple of days later, they receive a letter from the Department of Health in Warren County, and uh, one for uh, Mary and one for Jane. Jane's the mom, Mary's the daughter. And they basically say, look, you need to quarantine, and here's the Ohio Revised Code that you are going to violate if you don't follow this. A couple of days, uh, by the way, the graduation party gets canceled. A couple of days later, uh, Mary's feeling fine. So Jane says, look, we're going to get it tested again. And the mother was very clear. She said, look, it, it, it's not easy. I'm going against the current, and I really had to fight against the doctor to get this done. So the third test is taken, and that test comes back negative. So you have two negative tests and one positive test with an asymptomatic kid who's now on the radar, who's now counted positive, and who the health department is now tracking. Here's the weird part about the testing. Both tests that were – so there were three tests, and there were two different types of tests. The first test um, it was indicated that uh, it was an RT-PCR test, and the validity of that test is, quote, pending before the FDA. The positive test that Mary took um, was a molecular test, and the FDA disclaimer, keep in mind, she was asymptomatic, is, quote, this test has not been validated for use in asymptomatic patients, and results should be viewed with caution. But 
She took that test. It was positive, and it threw her into this tailspin where she was counted as a positive, and then on the, the State Department of Health, or excuse me. Lost her graduation party. Yeah, lost yep. her graduation party, lost her freedom. Her mother lost her freedom, all because one of the three tests taken was the te- that tested positive. Two negatives, one positive. The one that was positive was the one that has been, quote, not validated for use in asymptomatic patients, and results should be viewed with caution. Simply unbelievable. It is the overreaction. It is the it is the fear mongering. It is the always assume the worst nature of of the response. I think in the state that has so many of us very very concerned. And like you pointed out, uh, Jack, all of these things are go are what go into um, the designation of Ohio counties as being one of the one of the colors. Uh, you know, yellow, orange, red, and purple for purposes of what people can and cannot do. It is simply inexcusable. Jack, great job. Keep up the work, great work. What's coming up in uh, part three, Jack? Uh, part three, we're going to hit uh, more testing. We're going to go down to indicator two and uh, talk about testing outside of congregate. And that's the other part, real quick. Counties that are keeping cases out of congregate settings are actually being penalized. Wow. Unbelievable. Well, keep up the great work. Expose this for what it is, Jack Windsor, and thanks so much for the time. Thank you, Bob. You got it. All right, it's 10.03. We're late. Sorry about that. Let's catch up on the flip side. AM 1420, The Answer.